Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm going to leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by the one and only Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Back and present and correct, and mostly okay in London again. Good stuff, good stuff. Liverpool, present and correct last night in the Europa League. A comprehensive walloping of Toulouse. Scoreline... Probably didn't fully reflect the game. Like 6-3 probably would have been a fairer reflection of what was a fairly mad game. But the Reds get a comfortable win. Uh, Carl, a couple of standout performances last night. I thought Darwin was excellent. Obviously misses the big chance, but thankfully we still score from it. Uh, But Ryan Gravenberg, for me, this was comfortably his best performance since joining us now we do have to you know put it into perspective they're a team that's probably upper end of the championship if they're in England but at the same time he can only play who's again who's up in front of him and I thought last night we saw him take real ownership of his role in the team take responsibility for driving the team forward he made some outstanding progressive carries. His passing was crisp. He was a lot sharper last night, a lot more aggressive, uh, a lot more positive in his actions than he had been at the weekend. And if he can carry on playing like that, I think it's a really good sign. And obviously, Waturo Endo, with his best performance in a red shirt, uh, got his goal. The, the crowd got behind him. And I felt like from when he got his goal to the end of the game, that spell is, again, the best we've seen from him since joining. Uh, and with probably all three of those players that you've mentioned there, including Darwin, it is a good illustration of what confidence can do for you, right? When when things just happen to go well, whether it's a minute a game, a few weeks in a row, it just does wonders for footballers. Um, I, I'll be honest, I'm still only part way through. I've only watched the first half so far uh, of watching it back because I had silly prior engagements last night, um, which were made, as I mentioned, uh, on the Discord channel at a time when we did not imagine Thursday nights would be part of Liverpool's future, but they are. So I did miss out last night and um, so far, really, really impressed. It was actually Gravenberch, one of the ones I was wanting to mention 
see exactly what you thought of his second half performance because we've said a few times he's had good spells in matches, he's had good starts in matches, but trying to put it all together for you know more than an hour um, is is really the next step for him, and not just sort of flit in and out or have a few you know good minutes at the start that kind of thing. So increasingly, it's going to be very very important, especially in the midfield, to have these not just new players but you know outside the top two starters be in a really good way because not everybody can play every game. Uh, there's going to be injuries, there's going to be absences. You need to make changes in a match and be able to call upon people who can have a different kind of impact. So, yeah, it's really, really positive, especially with another midweek game to come. Yeah, exactly. Get a exactly. You'd imagine that they'll feature heavily against Bournemouth. And, you know, it's it's quite exciting to think long-term with, with Dominic and Alexis as eights and then Curtis Jones and Gravenberg as as rotation options. That's a really, really strong group. If we can sort out that number six position um, and have, you know, Endo would say is the short-term backup there, and maybe we properly convert Besetic. He gets bigger, he gets stronger, he gets more experience, more nous, and he becomes the rotation option in that role. Then we'd be looking at a group of six, along with the likes of Bobby Clark and Harvey can play in there as well, obviously. Um, that would mean that the midfield could remain untouched for a while. We would be very, very strong in that area with all of them having several more levels to reach in terms of their own personal development. But I thought last night with Gravenberg, it was it was just like a, a switch flicked in his head at a certain point in the first half where he'd been, he'd been decent at that point. But then something just changed in his head where he thought, you know what, these can't cope with me here at all. I'm just going to start running at them. And he's he's so important for the second and third goals by the way he's just driving into the jaws of the defence and he's making them make the decision of stepping out to meet him or dropping off to cover a runner and allowing him to go even further. And then he picks the right pass as well. And that's one of the gripes I had at the weekend is I didn't think he was picking the right pass. I thought he was a little bit too, a little bit too safe and a little bit too passive in his passing at the weekend. And it's funny in the second half, which obviously you haven't, you haven't seen yet. There's a couple of moments and I'll be curious if you can let me know your take on this when, when you watch through it. He takes up really good positions and we have the ball on the halfway line multiple times. And it's Trent, Gomez and Matip. And they have not not easy passes, but they're, they're makeable passes for players of that quality into Gravenberg's feet. And he's got time and space to turn and go again. And they play really passive passes. And we end up going back to the goalkeeper on one occasion. And that really frustrated me because it didn't feel like we capitalized on the advantage that he had over them enough. We, we obviously did capitalize on it by winning the game, but it felt like there was even more he could have given us in the second half, but we weren't feeding him into the right position. So it's all very positive and um, it'll be interesting to see does he keep his, his role for the weekend? I, I assume he will. Uh, I don't know if he'll play then against Bournemouth. That'll be four in a row. So he might miss out against Bournemouth and be, and be rested. But then Curtis comes back after Bournemouth, I think, isn't it? Or is he back for Bournemouth? Yeah, Curtis is back for Bournemouth, isn't he? Forrest is going to be his third and final match, isn't it? Perfect. So Curtis will be back in for Bournemouth. And maybe Gravenberg sits that one out. Maybe it's Curtis and Harvey as the eights or something like that. Um, let's move on. Liverpool in a strong position in that competition. Beat Toulouse away and we're guaranteed to be through. We're pretty much through already. And then we'd only need one point to be certain of topping the group. So that's all very good. But we do have Premier League matters to take care of this weekend. And they come in the form of Nottingham Forest paying us a visit at Anfield. Um, I was unaware of the fact that Nottingham Forest have so many nicknames, Carl. Forest, understandable. The Reds, understandable. The Tricky Threes, I'm not having it. That's shit. And the Garibaldi, 
um, which I'm just not accepting either, uh, unless someone can give me a good explanation for it. They're currently sitting in 15th in the league, having finished 16th last year and survived after many wrote them off. I've been pretty impressed by what I've seen, and I still think there's a lot more to come from this team this summer, uh, in this season rather. What have you made of Forrest so far? Um, I, largely impressive, given that you know it was a relegation battle last year, and this is only the second season. I think the turnover again is is a difficult thing to um, you know consistently deal with, but they seem to be managing it well enough. Um, they don't look an easily beatable team. I think sometimes they, at the minute, are one of those who swing from really good to really poor performances, and that can be half to half or week to week. Um, a couple of times I've seen them and you know they looked like they would give very, very good teams a go. You know, in the Chelsea win, for example, um, they looked like they could play most kinds of teams and do fairly well. Against Man City, I don't think they were, you know, overwhelmed or anything like that. But then some of the time I saw their uh, was it the draw at Brentford, I think I saw. And I, I just didn't think that they looked very good in terms of cohesion going forward. Um as I said before, changes at the back sometimes can leave them looking a bit ragged or exposed. That's you know true of every team, but I just think that there's been so much on-purpose renewal of that team and even the systems that they use within those groups of players. So overall, good. I think I, I, I don't have any you know concerns over them for relegation. It's only three spaces to Burnley, but they've got over double their Burnley's points, of course. So, you know, uh, barring a complete collapse, which is unlikely for a team that's only lost three of the opening nine, I don't expect that from them at all. A lot of draws, you turn a couple of them into wins and suddenly they're you know, very much mid-table around the well, around the Man United and Chelsea sort of area, to be honest. That's the thing. I mean, last season in their first nine games, they lost seven of them. And sorry, they lost six of them. They lost six of them and they took uh, five points. And they were walloped a couple of times and they lost by two or more goals on four occasions in the first nine games. This season through nine games, only three defeats, already 10 points, and only City beat them by more than one goal. And like you said, it wasn't like they were overwhelmed. They actually gave City a tough enough time. So it's definitely a a big improvement on how they started last season. I think they're also helped by the fact that, like you mentioned, you know, there's there's a good gap to to Burnley. Burnley have started so badly. Bournemouth have started badly. Sheffield United have started badly. Last season, it was Forrest who started badly. And this season, that hasn't been the case. Now, like you said, they've they've drawn too many games. Uh, The draw at home with Burnley was a disappointment for them. Um, I think they they quite like that one to go again. They drew it home with uh, Brentford, but I think they were, they were happy with that because Niakata got sent off and then they went one down and they came back to get a point. The draw away with Palace is, is a good result, but the Luton one is the one that will sting. They were 2-0 up. There was seven minutes plus stoppage time left. They should have been four up. They'd missed a couple of great chances and they threw it away. Panic stations defending, unable to deal with long balls. And Sir Jaurier, with one of the weirdest things I've ever seen on a football pitch, where a free kick that was coming in and was going to hit him about the height of his knee, he tried to diving header and missed the ball completely. And that led to the first goal. So you mentioned the turnover of the squad. In the summer, it looked like now, it looked like they were going to have a sensible summer and only make a couple of additions. And then they went absolutely buck wild on deadline day and the day before. So Chris Wood, they made that deal permanent. I, I don't think they were all that happy about having to do it, but it was the agreement they'd made in January. They signed Ola Aina on a free. They signed Anthony Alanga for Manchester United. And so far, I think he's been quite good. They brought in Matt Turner from Arsenal. Now, I think they signed him to be the backup goalkeeper because I think they thought they were going to get Dean Henderson. They signed Murillo from Corinthians, and he looks a really good addition. Nicholas Dominguez, so far I've been impressed with him. 
Uh, an undisclosed fee and Remo Freul are going back to Italy on loan. They brought in Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, it's a, definitely a gamble I would have taken. I think it's a, it's a really smart move. When they missed out on their first couple of choices for a starting goalkeeper, they brought in Odysseus, the Greek international from Benfica. Uh, thus far, he ha- he's, <clears throat> he's the number two. And I... I I don't think he's a starting caliber keeper in the Premier League. I think they've got two good backups there and no real starter. That's the one area I'd hit them on from the summer. They signed Sanger. That was a huge get for them. A huge, huge get. And they signed Andrew Omabamadeli, who I really like and I think is going to be an important player once he's fitting up to speed. Uh, They also loaned in Gonzalo Montiel, proven quality, World Cup winner, big game player. They brought in Andre Santos from Chelsea on loan. Huge potential. We haven't seen him in the league a whole lot. I don't know if we've seen him at all in the league yet, have we? But he's one that I think could get minutes as the season goes on. Nuno Tavares in on loan made some sense, given Renan Lodi left. They loaned out Omar Richards. And then there was all the talk that Harry Tofolo could get a ban. Now, in the end, he hasn't gotten a ban. But Tavares made sense. And then they signed Divock Origi, and I, I don't know. Like I, I understand that Italian food is is unbelievably good, but I'm not sure what Divock has been doing in Italy for the last twelve months because he doesn't look anything like the Divock Origi that left Liverpool from a physical point of view. He looks, I'm going to say, barrel chested to be polite, um, and he has not played well. So that one might not work out. But like overall, I think they did a pretty good job. It's just, they, they again, it's bringing in so many players in one window. That's that's very, very difficult for a manager to settle them all in and then find minutes for them all as well. Yeah, I mean, the minutes thing obviously can change as the season goes on quite dramatically. But I have been a, a little bit surprised at some of the early season regular selections. Obviously, there's got to be a bit of a balancing act between you you want to start incorporating your new players but also you don't want to change everything like week to week or immediately at the start of the season but like bringing in a couple of really decent fullbacks and still playing Serge Aurier quite regularly I find odd um, Willie Bolly the same and those two are more often than not the same side of defence as each other as well um, so I think that there are a few reasonable upgrade prospects that they can do without spending too much money um, but I do think that there's been pretty clear upgrades in a couple of positions as well compared to last season. Sangari obviously being maybe the most prominent one. Mm. Um, and I agree with you on Hudson Adoy, especially for the money that they actually paid for him in the end. We'd spoken about him as a gamble, probably worth taking for like more than double what they actually did pay. So I, I think that that's a win-win for them, to be honest. Yeah, and I mean, look, they've they've been dealing with some injuries, not nearly as bad as the injury situation they had last season, where every single week. If you went on premierinjuries.com, Nottingham Forest had double figures, players that were either out or a doubt for a game. Uh, this weekend, it's it's seven, and that's the most they've had this season. Uh, hudson Adoy is out with a pulled hamstring. Divock Origi has a hip injury. He's out for a while. Danio's the big one that they've been missing. Um, he's He got injured a few weeks back in, or actually probably a month and a half ago, and he's still out. Um, Nuno Tavares is a doubt for this weekend. Teo Wani looks like he's going to miss out as well, which is good for us because he's a pain in the arse to deal with. Felipe has a knee injury and is out for a while, and Montiel got injured on international duty, and he'll miss out, and He's had a couple of niggling things going on since he arrived. I think that's mostly why we've seen so much Serge Aurier. Um, Nico Williams doesn't seem to be getting much of a look in at right back at all this season. It does appear like the manager's sort of just settled in on, on Aurier. But I think when Montiel comes back, he takes that role. And... Nuno Tavares maybe then as the left wing back with a back three, which is what Cooper ideally, I think, would like to play of Oma Bamadeli, Niakata and Montiel. That might be the best back five that they'll be able to roll out. 
it is pretty strong. It's it's a little bit young and inexperienced with Omar Bamadali and uh, and Murillo, but I mean, there's certainly good prospects there, and, and everybody fits the role you'd be asking them to play. One of the issues I've had with some of their defensive shapes is when Joe Worrell plays on the right side of the back three and has been asked to defend large amounts of space, and that's where he will struggle because he doesn't have he doesn't have much pace at all. Yeah, it's interesting on the three as well because they have largely reverted to four at the back this year, but for some of the bigger or more difficult away games especially, it has been back to the three, um, which obviously in the context of our match this weekend, you would imagine that's probably where they're going to go? I'd imagine so. I'd imagine so. I, I think he'll probably go willy-bolly with Joe Worrell and Murillo. If Niakata's fit, Niakata should start. So maybe he goes Bali, Niakata, and and Murillo. Um, I mean, B- Bali is a is a strange one because like he does the basics well. You know, he heads it, and he kicks it, and he, he's aware of what's around him, and he's got decent experience, especially in the Premier League. But he can't really move anymore, and he does struggle against quick attackers who run at him. He tends to drag and pull and fall over and make a mess of things. So that could be an area we can exploit. Um, the wing, If they play the four, or the, the three rather, the wing backs become interesting for me because whatever about Aurier as a right back when he can just kind of sit in and just do right back things, when he gets pushed that bit further forward, he just doesn't have the legs to do it anymore. He's no longer the athlete he was a few years back. So that becomes a weakness for them, especially if it's Bolly or Worrell, who's the right side centre back behind them. That's a very slow combination there and an area that teams will pick on. Yeah. Um, I mean, like personally, I think if they're playing wing backs, Ola Aina is the, the one who should be a go-to. I, I think he's, probably the best balanced out of all in, in terms of both halves of the pitch mm. um, and still good athleticism as well to get forward in, in counter-attacking situations, which you imagine they're going to want to make the most of this weekend. Tavares on the other side is obviously a natural option to do that role. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they'll do there. In midfield, um, Mangala and Sanger seem to be pretty much automatic at the moment. And I'm guessing Nicolas Dominguez is the third one. He's He's been good um, in in the games I've seen. And that's, that's a nice midfield. Like, it's hardworking, but you've got, still got some quality on the ball. Um, they'll be physical. They'll be tough. They'll run and run and run. It doesn't have... It doesn't have a progressor, a creator type. But they're not coming to try and create. They're, they'll be coming to try and shut down space and make it very, very difficult for us to break them down. And if if that's the plan, that's a pretty much ideal midfield because you've got good athleticism in there as well. And then I, I suppose Gibbs White off Chris Wood up front and maybe Alanga drops onto the bench. Maybe he's the one that misses out in favour of another centre-back coming in. Possibly. Um, could have Dominguez from the left. If not, then maybe it's Dominguez who misses out and maybe later on they try to progress it a bit more if they're looking to sit deep and counter in the earlier stages of the game. Then you have obviously your two slightly wider options, Gibbs White being one of them, um, and then Chris Wood up front, because that's who they've got at the minute. Yeah, I mean, with, with Divock a doubt and, and Teo Awani a doubt, it is. It's going to be on Chris Water unless they wanted to do something weird where they don't play with a nine and just try and have you know a langa through the middle to hit us on counter attacks or something. But you'd be asking an awful lot of him to do that role. Um, I want to focus in on Gibbs White a little bit here, Carol, because I I really really like this player. Been a big fan since he came through at Wolves. He had a loan at Swansea that didn't go well, but then he had a loan at Sheffield United where he really put it all together and started to show what he was capable of. 
Forrest paid big money for him last summer, 25 million with the potential of 17 million in add-ons. And a lot of people laughed. I think if they put him on the market tomorrow, they get 50 to 60 million for him. 23 years of age, that talented, proven in the league as a goal scorer and a creator. One of the better dribblers in the league, good set piece taker. If we hadn't signed Dominic and we were looking for that attack-minded eight, he's someone I would absolutely be looking at because like Dominic, but to a lesser extent, he's also got that versatility to play either wing. He can play as a 10, can play a little bit deeper. I've seen him tagged as a maverick, which is just a nonsense because he's also a very, very hard worker. And he really does put in a shift for the team. I think Wolves made a big mistake in selling him. Um, What do you make of of Morgan Gibbs-White? I think he's a very good player. Um, I don't think that Wolves made a mistake in selling him in terms of how they played at the time and the type of player he is, because I just don't think he was a fit for them at all. Um, I think he would be a great fit for them now under Gary O'Neill. But... um, I mean, in terms of price tag, I think probably the benchmark, you look at Cole Palmer this past summer, um, in comparatively decent fits in terms of areas of the pitch. Gibbs White, obviously, far more experience. Um, I don't think that that would be an unreasonable price tag, like certainly in the 45 to 50 range, given what Palmer went for. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN make sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, I'd I'd have Gibbs White as a better player than Cole Palmer, and I do like Cole Palmer. Um, Gibbs White's a little bit older, obviously, and more experienced, but... I, like you said, like that that price that Chelsea paid in and around that that forty two and a half million range is is basically what Forrest paid for Gibbs White a year ago. If all the add ons kick in, and it's unlikely that they all will kick in, there was probably some for staying up. There's probably some for getting an England cap, which I'd imagine will happen in the next year or so, maybe after the Euros. Um. I could see him being included in a squad. I wouldn't be against the idea of England bringing him to the Euros if, if say, Madison were to get injured or something. I think Gibbs White would make sense in that squad. I, I definitely think he is. he's going to get another move within the next sort of 18 to 24 months and, and go to one of the bigger clubs. And and I think he'll do very well because every level he's played at, I think he's he's always shown up and, and, and impressed. Thought he was excellent in the uh, under-21 Euros. But then, like with Curtis, he is that bit older. So you kind of expect him and Curtis to do well against kids that are two and three and four years, in some cases, younger than them. Um, Without Teu, and even with Teu, there's not a huge amount of goal threat from this team. Last season in the league, they only scored 38. And obviously they they sold Brennan Johnson, who was their second top scorer. Other than Awani Johnson, 
and Gibbs White. Nobody else scored more than three. And that was Danilo, who only arrived in the January. Outside of that, Emmanuel Dennis got two. He's currently gone on loan. And nobody else scored more than one in the league for them. This season, they've been a bit better in front of goal. You know, comparatively goal per game, they're they're doing better than they did last season, uh, which is, is a good thing for them. They've got 10 and 9. It's still not great, but better than one a game is is a little bit better than the one per game that they got last year. Um, they're not, they're still spreading the goals around a lot. I mean, one E has three, Wood got three, but two of them came in the last game. Hudson Adoy has one, Alanga has one, Willie Bolly has one, and I think they were be- the beneficiaries of an own goal. So they don't pose a huge goal threat. But what they have done this year is they've cut down on the number of goals they're conceding. Last season, across the Premier League season, they conceded 68 goals, which is closing in on two a game. Uh, this season, it's 12, which is you know still not great, but it's it's decent. It's the same as Brentford, who people would mark as a decent defensive team. It's very much looking like a Steve Cooper side that's built from the back in terms of both personnel and game plan. Don't concede try and nab a goal. That's how he succeeded at Swansea, how he succeeded at Forest when he got them up. He went away from it a little bit last year, possibly due to injuries and personnel. But like I said earlier, through nine games, only one team has beaten them by more than one goal. And like they've played Arsenal away. They've played United away. They've played Chelsea away. And they've played City away. Mm. That's four of the big six. And only City managed to beat them by more than one goal. And I know United and Chelsea have not been good, but still, I think it's an achievement. And they should have beaten United. They were two up within 10 minutes and threw it away. Yeah, I mean, not scoring goals is, um, you know, a little bit as a result of the way that they play, obviously. Um, Premier League wide, their bottom five for shots per game. Um, when you take that just to away games this season, although it is skewed by the fact that they've played those clubs that you just mentioned, plus Crystal Palace away, which again, you know, not an easy game. Palace generally do very, very well at home across the course of the season, but away games against good sides, and we would include ourselves as that. They are 19th out of the 20 in the Premier League so far this season. Um, one goal from open play away from home in the Premier League this season. So it is definitely. I wouldn't say an area of concern because of the teams they played, but it's an area, it's it, it's indicative of what we can expect, that their threat is not going to be continuous and their threat is not going to be, you know, as a result of rapid counters or trying to incisively slice through us. Not to say it won't happen at all, because that is in part down to us and our, obviously, midfield awareness and reactions in defence and so on and so forth, but it isn't going to be their main avenue to try and trouble us. It would also, I would suspect, suggest that if we manage to score particularly early, that's a massive step towards three points in this specific game. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Uh, if we look back to last season, in the the game at the City Ground in October, just over a year ago, uh, they beat us 1-0 through a Teo one year goal. It was, a, it was a horrible early kickoff on a Saturday we had a weird team out and we just didn't rise to the occasion at all and we got beaten 1-0. In the game at Anfield, we beat them 3-2, but they gave us a good game. Uh, Diogo Jota scored on 47. Nico Williams scored on 51. Jota scored again on 55. Gibbs White scored on 67 with the aid of a deflection. And then Mo Salah scored on 70. They missed another chance after that, but we missed a couple of chances in the game as well. They did give us a good contest. And they do seem to get up for the bigger teams a decent amount. Like, they do seem to have a a strong enough mentality against the bigger teams, as they've shown this season with their performances away to Arsenal, where they were unfortunate to lose, away to United, where they should have won. They did beat Chelsea away. 
And they gave City a, a good old time. Now, they, they were very, very physical with City. And then the thing I'm noticing about them a lot this season is how many cards they're picking up. That might be a bit of a worrying sign for them, just in terms of as the season goes along, dealing with suspensions. Um, two yellow cards against Arsenal, two against Sheffield United, four and a red card against uh, against Manchester United. Uh, that was a straight red. Uh, four yellow cards against Chelsea, three yellow cards and a sorry, two yellow cards against Burnley. Uh, seven yellow cards against Manchester City is an awful lot. They got two yellows and then a third yellow that was actually a second yellow for Niakata, which resulted in him being sent off against Brentford. Only Ryan Yates booked against Forrest, but then three yellow cards against Luton. And two of them came when they were ahead in the game. And that's... In some ways, it, they can be, you know, those kind of cynical professional fouls we saw City do, the, do it for a long time with Fernandinho. But it's just, they're giving away cheap free kicks, which which has cost them in a couple of these games. And again, it could just be something where, you know, these start to add up and we get towards the end of the season and all of a sudden they've got a bunch of players facing suspension. Like right now, Mangala, Aurier, and Aina have three yellows. Tavares, Coyate, and Gibbs White, or Gibbs White and Montiel all have two yellows. And it wouldn't take much for them to all end up missing a game in and around the same time. And they've had multiple red cards this year, which that's not good. It's not good to be this far. Like we we've, we've obviously dealt with it as well, but it's not good to have that many red cards this early in the season because you start getting harsher suspensions afterwards for the second red and if you get a third red you might as well just go home for the year yeah I mean I suppose one other aspect of that is that the the yellow cards as much as the goals I suppose they are a little bit shared out it's not like they have you know one 22-23 season Christian Romero earning all of them for themselves um, in a pal- uh, palace, Forest have used 25 players in the league this season already. So it's not the fact that those suspensions might prove costly, but they do obviously have good depth to bring in alternatives. But if you are at some stage getting towards a settled team and you are starting to be on a, you know, a bit of a run of form, losing two or three key players and the ones who you mentioned, especially who are on three already, they are key players. They're like, with the mm. exception of maybe Aina, they're all in the team every week kind of players. Um, yeah, that 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 will be costly. No, no question about it. Especially you know, if we think that it might come around the Christmas period, where obviously matches are a little bit closer together. Even if it's a bit earlier in November, something like that. There's difficult runs of games that they still have to go through. Yeah. So after us, they go Villa home, which will be tough. West Ham away, which is tough. Brighton home, which is tough. Then Everton home. And that's going to be difficult because Everton will be fighting and clawing for every point and could well have had points deducted by then and could be staring at a you know, desperation type of situation. Then Fulham away, Wolves away, Spurs home, Bournemouth home, Newcastle away, and then Manchester United home to round out this calendar year. Like it is... It is a tough run. There's there's definitely winnable games in there for them and, and they will pull off one or two surprises. Like they could easily go to West Ham and win. Do you know, that's the type of team that they are. And then they could get pumped at home a fortnight later by Everton. That's just the, the nature of teams in and around the bottom end of the league. But thus far, they're doing quite well. They've improved on last season. And that's all you can really ask of a team in their second season. Uh, On to Liverpool then, Carl. So this weekend, we will have no Andy Robertson, no Curtis due to suspension. Uh, Stefan Besetic still out, having been diagnosed with a little, 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 little tiny calf issue uh, over a month ago. And then Thiago is still unavailable, still not training. And we have no real clarity on what the situation is. 
three weeks ago, Jürgen said he'd now had two setbacks in the rehab. Not massive, but enough to take him off the pitch. Obviously, not the same injury, not at all, injury, not at all but a bit similar. And that's all we know. So, Robbo would be a starter. Curtis would be a starter. I think at this stage, Thiago's no longer a starter because we can't rely on him. And Besetic is not a starter. He's a long way from it at this stage. So, we'll be strong enough. Costas comes in for Robbo. That's the obvious change at left back. Actually, what have you made so far of Luke Chambers in the watching of last night's game? Uh, yeah, a few nice moments, certainly on the ball. I think the movement was pretty good as well. I can't say there were loads of defensive tensions that I remember off the top of my head, but um, almost you don't really want to analyse too much when people are making you know first starts and all the rest mm. of it, especially at Anfield, especially European night and that. So kind of just a positive overall to get them on the pitch, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'd be interested to see what you think of, of Callum Scanlon as well. Uh, when he, he had a, a cameo, well, more than a cameo. He played 20, 20 minutes or so. Uh, but I was quite quite impressed by him as well. Um, so Bessetich, or sorry, uh, Costas comes in at left back. Trent will start right back. Virgil will start. Allison will start. Who's the other centre-back for you? Is it Ibu? He didn't play last night. I don't even believe he was on the bench. Do you think was that by design, it just to give him a complete rest, which yeah. should tips the hand that he's going to start at the weekend? Yeah, I think so because he obviously had the two sort of knocks and absences and was in and out, missed uh, one of the international breaks. So I wouldn't be surprised if after you know a ninety last time that was just a rest, get ready, and then we'll build you back up again. Yeah, that would make sense. In midfield, then Dominic will start. Alexis will start, I I imagine. And I'm guessing Gravenberg stays in as the third midfielder, which is is warranted based on last night's performance. Yeah, sounds right to me. And then in attack, Mo will start. I'd be stunned if Diaz doesn't start. And I'm guessing it'll be Darwin, given he was brought off last night. I'm guessing he'll start through the middle. Yeah, it was just over an hour he played. I think mm. uh, Jota playing the full 90 indicates he probably doesn't. Um, so, yeah, I, I imagine that's Darwin. We've had a few times already this season where Darwin's done well, come in, done well, gets his start, and then either a little injury or come back from international break late or anything like that sort of hampers him getting a run of starts. So hopefully this is now the beginning of what could be that. Yeah, and, you know, based on what we saw from Cody last night, I think he's still a couple of weeks away from, you know, full sharpness. Um, had some nice touches in the game, but just didn't didn't have that kind of sharpness that you'd, you'd expect from him. Um, and like you mentioned, Jota, he played the full 90, and I think having started against uh, Everton and not done particularly well, I think it's most likely Darwin comes in. And I, I do think Mo, Darwin and Diaz is undeniably our best front three. So I'm happy with that. Be happy with the midfield. Happy with the defence. The, the question mark is Costas. But the more games he gets, I think the better he tends to play. So hopefully we see an improvement from him on what we saw at the weekend. Uh, the only other option, I suppose, would be maybe that Joe Gomez would start at left back because he won't start either the kids at left back. So Joe, I mean, Joe Joe does make sense from a defensive point of view because he's better suited to be in the left-sided centre-back in a back three. But Costas obviously then offers more going forward than Joe. And we do seem to want to have at least one natural lefty who can deliver crosses down that side, and obviously that's not going to be Diaz, that's not going to be Gravenberg, so I think it'll be Costas. Um, What are you looking for from Liverpool in this game? Is there anything that you've seen in recent weeks that you're hoping they can maybe iron out? Is there anything you've seen that you're hoping they lean into a bit more? What's your thoughts on on, on the game? Um, I mean, if I'm being blunt it's also a bit stupid and obvious but I think the clinical edge is something that we need to 
keep improving, to be honest. Salah aside, I think there's been a wild number of chances over the last few games where we should have been far better with the last pass, with the decision-making, not even just the shot itself, but sometimes the, the bit that comes before it. Um, I think this upcoming game, sorry, upcoming run of games is probably one we'll score quite a lot of goals in, um, just like we did against Toulouse. But, you know, on the evidence of what I've seen so far and what I read about the second half as well, it probably could have been double the amount we did get. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should go out and beat all of these teams 4-5. Some of them, you're not going to play that well and you need to be right on it when you do get your one or two chances. So that would be the first thing. I think some of the interplay between Diaz and the other front two has not been great this season. So probably looking for him to be a bit a bit more on it in terms of his decision-making as well. Um, and then, to be honest, it's similar to what we said before the Toulouse game, where we're looking for a couple of individuals to really step up and show that they should stay in the team. Now, for Trent, for example, we're not saying he should prove he needs to stay in the team, but we would like him to get back to, you know, much closer to his top level. So this is another opportunity for him to do that. I think he'll probably get quite a bit of time on the ball if he stays wider but hardly any time on the ball if he goes into central midfield a lot because Mangala and Sagari, especially if we say that they're going to be the the two who are definite starters, regardless of system, they're very, very quick to get out to players in possession who want to take a touch and turn on the ball, that kind of thing. So a few of them maybe just to sharpen up slightly, but it, I don't want to be too harsh because I think we've, we've been in a pretty good groove in terms of improvements as well as results, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I'd like to see Ibu have a have a good strong game because he wasn't at his best against Everton, and I've seen a few shouts for Matip. Um, Joel's been okay this season, but like he was dreadful last year when he was playing as often. Um, Diaz is one that I think is going to come under a bit of pressure because maybe that left sided spot could open up. If he doesn't continue, doesn't you know get himself back to where he was pre-injury, he's still impacting games in a positive way, and I, I do think overall he's had a decent start to the season. But his decision making, especially on counter attacks, has let him down multiple times. And there's twice against Everton there were big moments where he should have done a lot better and and just made the wrong choice, but. Outside of those two, I mean, Dominic is is the guy's unbelievable. Any doubters of Alexis? I mean, you, you've got to factor in the guy's playing a position that is not his position, and he's doing it the best he can. But it's not a position he's particularly good in. But he's playing fairly well. Gravenberg has an opportunity, maybe, to just put forward a claim for that mid that third midfield role. I still think. Uh, the Dominic Gravenberg duo as eights, there's a lot of work that would need to be done to make that work properly in this shape. Because both of them are ball dominant and both of them, when they get the ball, want to carry the ball and want to be the ones to try and make things happen. And it doesn't necessarily work all that well. Whereas when you have the other eight be more of a facilitator like a Curtis or like an Alexis. I think that's the balance. That's why, you know, for me, Gravenberg as the, uh, uh, Gravenberg and Curtis worked well last night. Gravenberg and Dominic worked well for, well, didn't really, Dominic didn't play all that well against Everton and Gravenberg was quite, quite underwhelming for me. He was fine. Like he was, he was okay. He wasn't, wasn't bad, but, we didn't get out of him what he's capable of. I think you get more from him with someone like Curtis, who's more of a support player. I think you get more with Alexis, again, more of a support player. So, like, it's great options to have. It's a great problem to have to try and figure out how to get all these good footballers into the team. But Gravenberg will certainly want to stake a claim because... Since joining, he's obviously been putting in the work. He sacrificed on the international front for the club, and I think he has his eyes on on nailing down a starting spot, obviously. So this is another opportunity for him to make a case and, you know, just throw the gauntlet down a little bit to Curtis. That, you know, Curtis can't 
can't take his foot off the pedal. He can't get comfortable in the team. He's got to continue to earn the shirt. And, and every one of them, really and truly, should have to earn the shirt every single time they play. Now, some of them have, have earned a lifetime in the shirt already, like Virgil, like uh, Trent, like Ali and like Salah. But for the rest of them, I think they've still got to go out. Oh, you could, you could include Robertson, but I mean, his decline has been quite, quite stark. But for the rest of them, I feel like they should be in that mindset of every single week. They sh- they, the old thing that people say that some of the old timers used to do when the game would end, they'd hand the shirt back to the manager and say to them, if I deserve it, give it back to me next week and not assume you're going to have it. That mm. kind of mentality I'd like to see from some of, some of these other players. Yep, and ultimately that's why we have, we want the competition for places. That's what we want for it, that they have to every time they go out. Think that they still have to play that well, otherwise the next guy's ready to come straight in. Exactly. And I do think they have like a, a bunch of them, Dominic, Darwin, Diaz, Alexis. I do think they have that sort of mentality and that sort of persona that they're making sure they're always earning their spot. Um, right, let's get predictions then. What do you make of Liverpool versus Nottingham Forest? What are you saying? I'm going to go 2 0 to the Reds against the Reds. The tricky Reds against the uh, the tricky trees? <laughs> Penalty pool to win by the odd set piece. 2 0, I'll go for Yeah. Yeah. Lovely, lovely VAR decision in our favour is what I'd like. You know, just to kind of really piss off everyone on Twitter for another weekend. Like, you know, when we're 3-0 up and we get, like, maybe a somewhat questionable decision that goes in our favour, um, and then that apparently that'll be the reason that we won. Uh, I'm going to go 3-1 to the Reds, and we will leave it at that. Carl's got to run. I've got to go and do some other stuff. So thank you all for listening, and we will speak to you next week. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel, so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.